Welcome to Startup Dads, a podcast about the highs and lows of building a business and raising a family at the same time. For more information about the topics we cover on the podcast and other Startup Dads related content, you can follow us on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. I'm Amrit, co-founder of Hyper Exponential, a tech startup that I co-founded in 2017. It's grown from a two-person team working out of my kitchen to a profitable business with several large clients and more than 20 team members across London and Europe. I'm also dad to Evie, my first child, who was born last December. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Startup Dads. I'm delighted to introduce Leo Ringer to the show today. Leo, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what makes you a startup dad? Hi, I'm Rhett and great to be here. Yeah, so I founded a business called Form Ventures. It happens to be a venture capital fund, so we invest in other businesses, but we're very much a startup ourselves. It's me and my co-founder, Patrick. And I'm a dad to three children. So Emilia is just eight months old, Jamie is nearly three, and Isla is nearly five. So we have a, a pretty busy household back at home. You've got four startups. I just think that's absolutely amazing. When I hear people with three kids and running their own startup, you're going to definitely be the person that I'm picking up for tips over time. So Leo, let's jump right in. You mentioned you're the one of the founders of Form. Form Ventures are really unusual, I think, to help founders and businesses succeed in regulated markets. And, you know, having worked in a heavily regulated market insurance my past life, you know, crossing paths with it regularly now, one thing I know is that regulation is often the part of doing business that lots of founders want to avoid. And worse, I think you'll often see founders just pretending that it doesn't exist or doesn't matter. How do you find yourself here? Because one of those really great startup opportunities when you think, oh, wow, that's definitely something someone should do. Um, but can you tell us how you came across that? Yeah, it is It is a slightly curious mix when you first come across it. But I've spent more than 10 years working kind of at the interface, really, of policymaking and, and business. So I started my career at the CBI, which is, a for those who don't know, the sort of main business lobby and policymaking group in, in the UK. I then went to work in the British government as an advisor to the Secretary of State for Business in the coalition government, if people can remember back that far uh, in the mists of time. Um, and then I went to advise companies and investors in a consultancy role at a business called Global Council. And that was all prior to founding Forum. So, so very much I was rooted in in the way that public policy, politics, regulation shapes what happens to businesses, how they can grow, how they can innovate. And what I saw time and time again was disruptors and innovators coming along with brilliant ideas and, and huge ambition and then struggling to get their heads around the way that government makes decisions and the way that those rules and those frameworks in some cases as you said can constrain what they do but just simply change the playing field on which they're that they're competing and, and, and throw things up in the air sometimes um, and even more so actually in new markets where there aren't rules and founders mm. are innovating. If you remember, you know, before Uber came to London, there wasn't really a rule book around how we should deal yeah. with these businesses. And that's even that's even harder. I guess I started off seeing that that problem uh, close at hand. But I also, having worked in government and, and and with a lot of friends and former colleagues, knew how hard it was for the for the, for the people on the other side trying to make the rules to make sure they worked for for innovators because often they weren't mm. out there in the market. They weren't tech people. Um, and it was really tough for them to, to, to sit there in Whitehall and Westminster looking at the law and how to reform it and really understanding what that would mean for tech companies. So I just saw this big gap, really, this big disconnect. And, and I wanted to sort of, I wanted to fill it. That's great. It's super interesting to hear a VC's perspective on 
their side of filling the market? Because, you know, people often talk about the thesis that VCs have in the very same way, I think, that startups have an insight, VCs have it as well. And I think it's often assumed that it's just something that's there, but the process by which you come across it, I think is really cool. So that's super interesting. Could you talk to us on that note? You know, what drove you down the VC route in particular? Yeah, and it's it's a good point about sort of VCs. We you know we need to think about our place in the market, what our mm. what our product is, what our strategy is. You know, as much as founders do, it just happens to be that our, you know, as I said earlier, our product is is the business of investing in others. Um, but it doesn't make those things any any less important. And I think the reason you know my observation was very much from the perspective of having seen this gap. The reason we started thinking down the VC route was was partly because my co-founder Patrick, who'd been leading investing at Deloitte Ventures, a Deloitte's in-house fund, Mm. had seen the way the venture market was evolving and looked at the US in particular where VCs aren't just providing capital, they are, but they're also providing a lot or should be providing a lot more value to founders in terms of advice and um, assistance and support and and what's sometimes called sort of value add in in inverted commas. And I'd seen in particular early stage companies when thinking about these these, these tricky regulatory and policy issues, not having the resources, not having the, the networks, to know how to deal with them and not having the money and the time to pay advisors and, and get that on board. And so I thought, well, they should be getting this from, this is a perfect thing to get from their investors because they're there, they're completely aligned with the business, they they understand the business and they can see forward and we can think about the way policy and regulation is evolving. So that was one part of it. But of course, that's all very well, but does it actually make a good investment strategy? Ultimately, we're in the business mm. of returning multiples of the capital that we invest on behalf of our investors who are, who are called LPs to them. So it needs to make financial sense as well. And what we did was we looked at the way that the European and the UK venture market has evolved. And we looked at what the big success stories have been. And actually, we noticed that a really, really big proportion of them have been in markets, which we'd call sort of regulated or semi-regulated. We haven't been as good as the US in producing these sort of whether it's social media or consumer-facing companies, but we have been much better at doing slightly more, um, maybe more technical things, whether that's in the UK in fintech or in, in energy, the likes of of Bulb. And so we married the two things together. On one hand, we think we can really fill a gap and add value for founders that no other fund is adding. But crucially, we also think we can back some of the best performing and most ambitious and most impressive teams out there that could generate the really big returns that, 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 that VCs are looking for. So those two thoughts came together and and that was really where form was born that's really interesting question i'm always keen to ask vcs is you have a portfolio you've got lots of founders that you work with what are your thoughts on the entrepreneurial gene so you know do you see common traits and common characteristics among your founders yeah on a related note you know what are your thoughts on your kids setting up startups (laughs) yeah it's a really it's a really good question um and it does make you sort of pause and think certainly um so I do think there's a certain character type that that lends itself to doing startups. There are some people who see the combination of sort of opportunity and risk and personal sort of risk in the right way. In short, you you need to be a blend of sort of confident, ambitious, and, and probably a little bit unaware actually of the <laughs> of the difficulty and the mountain yeah. you're going to climb. I think if everyone knew yeah. exactly what it was going to be like, probably a lot of founders would never would never have started in the first place and it would never feel worth it. So so it's not it's not just the case that we, you know, founders see something that others don't. It's it's probably a bit, you know, it's probably a bit of a sort of a missing component as well. Um yeah. but, but but something just to go back to the idea that I, I think we sometimes put or people can put entrepreneurs on a bit of a pedestal as if, you know, they're, you know, they're super impressive and somehow great. And for me it's just one of many really valid and really mm. potentially promising career choices 
that, that is right for some people and not others and it should be no different to any of the others and we shouldn't sort of see it in a different way and and i think that's that that culture of sort of founder worship is you know something we need to move away from I mean, would I have done it if we'd known how hard it was going to be to, to get form where it is today? Uh, really, really good question. I'm not, <laughs> I think I'd lo- love to say that we would, but it's it's obviously been tough and tough in ways that we, you know, you think it's going to be tough in some ways and it's tough in different ways. And then would, would I be keen on my kids doing it? I think, again, I have to sort of say yes. Um, I just want to make sure that they went into it with their eyes open, that they had a good feeling for for what that journey is going to be like and, and kind of had thought through the how hard it might be. And then the other bit, which I think is sort of often underappreciated is how hard it is to do this financially as well. Yeah. You know, we've gone a long time now really without sort of taking income out of the business we've started. So bootstrapping as it's known, Mm. we've had costs to meet and that's because our, you know, in discussions with our families, we've been able to sort of think about that, you know, in Mm. the round and say, yeah, we can do that for a certain amount of time and let's give it a go. And we have the ability to make that work. And, And a lot of people don't have that. They simply can't make that choice. It's not there for them to make. And that, shouldn't be a reason why some people start a business and others don't but it is and Mm. the more we can the more we can tackle that the better but those who can do it we just need to recognize that that's a privileged position to be in and 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 kind of see the world through that lens totally it's i think it's really great and you know for you being a founder of a a firm yourself uh, and also looking after founders of firms i think it's really great that you can be very honest about the fact that there are lots of times in a startup's life where it is absolutely not obvious that that it's worth it, right? You have times where you're like, oh boy, I'm not absolutely sure. <laughs> if I could mm-hmm. press the eject button and decouple completely safely, is this the sort of thing that has no appeal? I think the answer to that is rarely no. I think your point about focusing on founder worship and and, and the, the success and the hero, heroism is great. But there's also, like you say, a little bit of temerity, a little bit of bloody mindedness uh, and maybe a small amount of naivety that's required to go into it. And I can say that firsthand. So I want to pull us around to the regulatory aspect. It's a fascinating component of form. One of the things I've seen is one of the big aspects of working with regulators is patience and actually empathy. Patience is not a word I would say that characterizes the default personality of an early stage, particularly founder. So, you know, how do you help your portfolio with the patience and empathy side of things? Yeah, it's a really good point because it goes back to what I what I said earlier about these being two different worlds. You know, the the world of startups and, and disruption is one of pace and iteration and le- learn fast and, and reiterate and, and kind of go go go. The world of government is very cautious, slow moving, almost by definition. You know, legislative cycles take years, not months. Even you kind of can't get this stuff wrong, and also people aren't incentivized necessarily when they're sitting there in in, in regulatory bodies or in, in in the civil service to sort of take risks. An experiment they just don't have the latitude to do that it's not about their own ambition it's just about the framework in which they sit yeah so i think part of this is about the two sides understanding that the others are playing sort of a different game but there should be a productive interface between the two and at the moment what's happened is the two are kind of going along and maybe misunderstanding each other and then that's leading to misunderstandings and rather than patience and empathy it's it can be a bit hostile sometimes so I, one of the things i saw recently is that the european the European Commission, there was a leaked document about their approach to end-to-end encryption, which mm. matters a lot to the tech community for lots of good reasons, but the reaction was really hostile. You know, you don't get us, you don't understand us, you know, you guys are mm. idiots if you only understood what we were doing. And, and and I understood the sentiment, but the hostility I don't think is productive, and I think it just it just creates this 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 environment where 
we're not going to move forward. And so what I, and that, that's just one example, but a lot of the time, therefore, we just end up, you know, we're explaining to founders, you know, where policy is going, why it might be going that way. And at the same time, explaining to policymakers, you know, why this disruption is happening, what the founders see as the opportunities, how they want to innovate, how they want to kind of push the boundaries of what's been possible. And, and just getting the two sides to have a conversation about that. And as you say, that requires a bit of patience, a bit of empathy. But actually, once you explain those things and, and you, you kind of almost educate people as to why it is that the other side's acting in that way, then you kind of take down a lot of the barriers and then you create the ground for a good conversation. And that might be helping a founder simply just understand the rules to be able to comply with them. It might be that actually there's a really big opportunity in the market. Um, so, so one of those mm. good examples is we're investors in a company that is in the cultivated meat space, a sort of lab-grown cellular-based mm. meat. And it's a huge opportunity there to re-regulate the way we think about that market, which hasn't been you know touched for decades, to allow and unleash innovation. And all it really needs is a good, detailed, productive conversation between the two sides. And you know that's where we think we can really help and add value, not just for our portfolio, but also actually for policymakers who are, try- who are genuinely mm. trying to get this right. Yeah. Uh, maybe a similar question is how do you think about that with your children? I, I don't want to, you know, I'm now cautious of upsetting some of the founders in my portfolio who I'm about to <laughs> compare to children, which isn't. <laughs> no, but I think the point is um, with, with, with young kids, my kids are pretty young. They're just learning about almost everything and they're yeah. so hungry to learn. But they, most of the time, you just find yourself explaining why something's the case. No, I can't, you know, have eight ice creams this morning because you know, <laughs> uh, or no I can't you know we can't go and do that or and actually with COVID a lot of the time no we can't do in that but go and do that thing we used to do or see those people we used to see or other family members or go to soft play because of some abstract concept that they're not really familiar with and can't even understand so it is that translation piece of, of, of explaining to them in terms they can understand why why something's happening and and the empathy piece as well you know in the same way that um people starting businesses myself included there's ups there's huge ups and downs and, mm. and and what we try and do all the time is you know take the tops off the ups and the bottoms off the downs you know just just to keep it on a bit of a level because if you if you ride that all the way up and all the way down and you have a good day and you if it's a founder you win a you win a contract or f- you know for us it might be a great deal we do you know it, it's really hard to stay level when you're when you're up and down that far and it's the same with the kids you know they're they're, they're bouncing around one minute their next minute they're exhausted mm. and, and 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 crying and it's sort of just trying to kind of keep everything on a on a middle ground i think is it's a challenge and it, and it is not easy and we get it wrong both professionally and personally all the time but it's a sense of trying to keep that balance i think that's always key and i think that um takes me on to a question i wanted to ask you you know you're one of the first vcs on our show and you're a founder yourself so you have a portfolio of founders you have to help and look after you have your own startup to grow and you've got your three startups at home as well. So, you know, how do you balance family life with startup life? It's tricky. Um, and I think I don't know what the answer is. I don't know that there is a right answer. And every every answer to that question kind of is, I think, and should be different because it just depends. And in my case, in the home environment, I'm one half of a team with my wife. Yeah. In the professional environment, I'm one half of a team with, with Patrick. And... Um, you know, it sounds sort of glib to say, but it simply neither would function even close to functioning if there wasn't that sort of team in place. So, so that's how I kind of do it: is rely heavily on on those other people. And it has again, it's been strange in in COVID because there's not been that actually necessarily that divide all the time. Because working from home, I think everyone's probably found this: you 
you kind of come off calls at the end of the day, but you're sort of still on your phone checking emails and then it's bath time. And, and are you really yeah. actually focusing on bath time or are you replying to an email? And, um, yeah. and the two bleed together and that's, that makes that balance quite hard. Um, and, then, and then another one is that is tricky is, is sort of the financial pressures and stress that come with founding a business and, and running a business. And that, that is, it's almost impossible to isolate that from, from your home and your family life because, of course, Agreed. you know, it, 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 it really matters. And so the pressure of, are we succeeding at work? Is it going well? You know, it's directly correlated to, you know, other things we can do as a family or can't do or, or whatever it may be. So, you know, in our particular case, starting a VC business doesn't tend to come with the option of raising money into the business in the way that, you know, a normal startup would. So, for example, we've, we've yeah. bootstrapped for longer than, than maybe others would. And, and, and that's just that's just what we're doing and we need to get comfortable with that. So I think, again, it, it completely depends. And, and it's, it is, I think the main thing I'm, I'm very cautious of is ever sort of prejudging anyone else's choices about how they balance that. Um, yeah. Whether it's the founders who talk to us about what their working patterns are or, you know, our investors in terms of their expectations of, of what we're doing and when. You, I think you just have to be honest with people and open. And I've never had an issue where I said, like I did last night, take my baby for a blood test and I can't make a call and, and someone says that's fine um, people yeah. understand and I think it's having the confidence actually to sort of say that um, almost always is the right choice I love that point about not prejudging people's working patterns running a business and having a family has been an amazing blessing in many ways it's been very stressful I think it's very stressful for everyone but I think your point there it touches on the flexibility and making things work you know how do you balance family life and startup life you make it work <laughs> I think is the key thing so I'd like to ask you the question I ask every guest now Leo what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you want to pass on to your kids the biggest lesson that I've learned is you absolutely need people around you who support what you're doing and are mm. committed to helping you and, and that you're sort of transparent and bring them bring them with you well that's my experience there's no way form would have happened without that i think if you get that right that's at least one of the necessary preconditions to, to succeeding in entrepreneurship so true yeah i think the consistent theme actually i was on a podcast myself and I, they, they asked me so what's the tip that every startup dad gives you and i'm like it's really simple it's like just that like, make sure you build a good network of people around you right and that you ask for help but you know it's one of those things that i think brits we find that harder maybe than we should to ask <laughs> for help um you know i've got some american colleagues who are just brilliant at that and i'm just like man i just wish i had your guts just good to go and do that and you know they're like look you don't you, you don't play you can't win right that's, that's a really good point and we we find that as well we're naturally cautious of asking for help as british people i think it's a cultural thing and, and the other thing actually i suppose i'd the, the second bit of the answer to your question is if you think entrepreneurship is is going to be an option of interest at any point in your life just have that in the back of your mind in the way that you do whatever it is you're doing first. And I don't mean try and predict what what kind of company you're going to start and then engineer everything in advance. I just mean, in particular, be quite conscious about the network you're, you're developing. You know, you meet all sorts of people through your life and yeah. career. You come across great people who are doing interesting things. And 10 years later, they might be doing something even more interesting. And if you sort of are quite conscientious about even just jotting that down, who you know, you know, building the network a bit more, a bit more mm. consciously, invariably later when you come to do something, you go, oh, you know what? I'll just drop so-and-so a line because they're not doing that. And, and I think that it's, it's an extension of the point about having a support network, but it's, I think I'd, I'd probably, if I could go back, I'd be much more intentional about yeah. the network I, I kind of built almost without trying. I, I think I could have sort of made that even more of a productive asset now to draw on than, than it already is. 
that's absolutely fantastic advice. Not something that we've had before on the show. And it's so true. I think, you know, for any, as you say, any of our listeners thinking about doing this is that you can never start doing that too early. You can never start. And it actually applies almost to the hiring side of things as well. You can never start yeah. doing it too early. You can never start making connections, finding out, you know, how you can help people, how people can help you, how they could work with you in the future. It doesn't necessarily mean that you will, you know, that, that you will employ someone, but you might work with their company or you you know, buy their product or sell or sell your software to them. Well, Leo, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'd like to wrap up now with our regular feature, Startup Shoutouts, uh, where we shine a light on some of the organizations, people's, founders, uh, any anyone or people in the startup ecosystem that we admire. Startup Shoutouts. I'm going to cheat here and have two, which I, which I know is against the rules, but because they're related to the topic of parenthood. So the first is a brilliant portfolio company of ours called Bubble. And Bubble do flexible ad hoc childcare in your home. So whether that's to cover a, a shift at work or another event or, or anything else. And, and it's been incredible to watch them through the pandemic and the way they've been able to support people who've had to work in different ways, including NHS frontline staff, to just make oh, amazing family life work with, you know, with whatever it is they're doing. And, and Ari there is building an incredible business. The other one to slip in is a business called Pepe, again, in our portfolio. And Pepe help people through key life transitions. And one of those is new parenthood, uh, which is a combination of brilliant, terrifying and exhausting and, and everything else. <laughs> and to see the way that they're supporting new parents to sort of understand and, and, and have access to resources and, and specialists and, and content to kind of to get that right, again, through a period where a lot of the support that's normally around new parents, whether that's formal healthcare support or the kind of informal community-based support from groups and playgroups and things, just hasn't been there. Again, to watch them make an impact has been incredible. And we stand in awe of what those guys are doing and achieving. That's super cool. And amazing to have them. Yeah, it's so topical as well. So we'll be definitely sure to put them in the show notes, make sure our listeners can find out a little bit more about them. I expect they're the sort of, uh, our, our listeners be the prime audience for them. I, ho- I hope I hope so. And, and there's a whole there's a whole sort of ecosystem of companies that are thinking, you know, ambitiously about how do we support people through things that are challenging. And that ranges from healthcare through to childcare, and then things maybe at the end of life around wills and death and life insurance and all sorts of things that we, we find fascinating. And they're... They're slightly different markets. They, they tend to have these regulatory things around them, as, as we've discussed before. They're not straightforward and they really matter mm. to, to the people who are using them. And they therefore matter to policymakers because it's important that they're well governed. And so that's where we find ourselves spending a lot of time. But we also just see huge opportunity there to build really, really big, really impressive businesses that, that, that also have the benefit of, of really improving the way people live their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, an amazing framing and thesis that, so very clearly, as I said, you know, when I heard about you, I was just like, wow, that just seems now so obvious. Any truly great company at its uh, at its limit is probably the biggest bounding uh, factor on it is regulation. And it's just so true. And I think, yeah, amazing to hear the work your portfolio company are doing and you're doing. So, look, Leo, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was absolutely fantastic. How can we find out a little bit more about you, Form, and anything interesting that you're doing at the moment that our listeners should hear a little bit about? Yeah, so please um, visit our site as a, as a first stop, uh, formventures.vc. It contains all of our latest news. We write blogs, we write think pieces. We try and sort of talk about what we're doing and, and, and help people 
understand it better. Or email me, leo at formventures.vc or go through the website. Always happy and, in fact, delighted to hear from startups, founders, policymakers, wherever it may be. We, you know, we, we geek out on this stuff, so we love, we love to chat about it. Brilliant. And you mentioned previously that you had an open source guide on VC business. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we wrap up? Yeah, so we're, you know, we're what we might call an emerging manager, so a new VC manager building a new business. And it's not easy. It's it's not a hugely well-trodden path. There are new managers in Europe, but but not that many of them. And so what we're doing is documenting the experience as we go, writing down everything we learn, whether that's about the really complex regulations around funds, or it's about portfolio construction, or it's about how we work with founders, or whatever it might be, we, you know, how to get the right suppliers on things like legal or whatever, you know, all the issues that mm. go with with starting a fund business. We're, we're writing it all down. We're going to publish it in a sort of open source guide, probably in, in Notion, and and just make it a resource for the community to, to read. And it might even help founders who want to understand more about how VC funds work to see a guide to starting a VC fund. And, and, and it's just because we, we feel like we've learned a huge amount. We feel like a lot of it we could have just read somewhere, but it, that doesn't exist. Mm. And so we'll be publishing that as soon as we can. And if people want to chip in or have thoughts or views that we can reflect and, and quote or share, then we'd love to hear from you as well. That's a great idea. And I think, you know, we were talking about empathy earlier. If you're looking to raise money, understanding a little bit about the challenges that your investors go through and the things that matter and the constraints that apply to them, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a, a good thing to do. So as you rightly say, make lots of sense uh, on all angles. Well, amazing. Again, Leo, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been absolutely great to have you. A pleasure. Thanks so much. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at Startup Dad's Pod.